It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about the beach bum. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Gardner. Fun is the fucking gun, man. And joining us today to discuss his choice in film is friend of the pod, Joaquin. Joaquin, thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. Anytime. We're glad to have you here. Before we go any further, a quick reminder. On this podcast, we talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. Every Friday, we release a full episode, usually with a guest, where we often do those interviews with independent filmmakers. Every Wednesday or Thursday, we also have a bonus episode we release, which usually focuses on a new TV show, a new movie, or something relevant. This is this week's full episode, where we're going to be discussing The Beach Bum shortly. Last week, we did a full episode where we interviewed Gorov Seth, the creator of the film Multiverse. If you missed that, check it out. The film is available to watch on Hulu. We also released a bonus episode two days ago where we discussed The Dark Knight with our friend Adarsh. That bonus episode is part of a mini-series we're doing on the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, which will conclude next Wednesday with The Dark Knight Rises. We already did Batman Begins last week, so if you missed those, check them out. So Beach Bum was released in 2019. It was written and directed by Harmony Corinne and stars Matthew McConaughey as Moondog, Isla Fisher, Snoop Dogg, Jonah Hill, Zac Efron, Jimmy Buffett, and others also make appearances in this film. It's described as a stoner comedy and has received middling reviews around the 55% mark. But who cares what those people think? Let's talk about what we, here on GDT, thought about the movie. We're going to start with the opening thoughts, but first I do want to do a quick spoiler warning. This podcast will contain spoilers for The Beach Bum. If you don't want the beach bum spoiled, stop listening now, go watch it, then get back to us. For everyone else, that was your spoiler warning. So Joaquin, you picked this movie, and we always let our guests go first with their initial thoughts. So can you kick us off with your broad thoughts on the beach bum, and also tell us what made you pick this out of all the movies in the world? Well... Uh, it's just one of my favorite movies, personally. I think it's a lot of fun. I think like all the characters are really interesting and really exciting and really funny. And yeah, I've seen this a bunch of times. I think just the attitude of Moondog throughout the movie, just constantly trying to have fun. Like Gardner said, his mantra fun is the fucking gun. This really shines through because the movie is just 100% from his perspective, going through all these crazy adventures. And yeah, I don't know. That's all I have to say about my broad thoughts are just this is a really fun movie and I don't know what those critics uh, were on, but clearly it wasn't something that they needed to enjoy this film. Hell yeah, because I would argue that maybe there are some things that would actually enhance the watching of this film. What was he smoking might actually be a positive when talking about this film. So going off that, Gardner, let's hear what you have to say. What are your broad thoughts on The Beach Bum? Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything Joaquin just said. This movie is just so much fun to watch. It's uh, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's just about an hour and a half. And it really is 
you know, I can get why some people wouldn't like this. It's I would say it's probably the most accessible out of any of Harmony Korine's films. Some people would argue Spring Breakers, maybe because that follows like a more traditional story structure. But this movie for me, man, it just hits all the notes. Like Joaquin said, the characters are great. The, the comedy is hilarious. I mean, this movie is genuinely laugh out loud. And the fact that Moondog is in every single scene pretty much, and you're just kind of following him through this journey and, and seeing like how his life philosophy plays out. It's just, it's just a ton of fun, man. I don't know. It makes me want to go to the keys. Yeah, we mentioned inspired casting on some of our previous episodes, but getting Matthew McConaughey to play the role he was born to play is beautiful and well done. Like you said, funny. And I was going to actually note that too, Gardner, that it's about Matthew McConaughey. That's part of why I did list all the other cast members, not just because he's the leading character, but I listed all the other actors in a separate group than him because it's him and then everyone else kind of stops in, pops out. It's perfectly executed in that sense, I think. And the comedy is well done and it's quotable. It's got so many good quotes in it. I have some written down that we'll get to, but I just love that. I think that, I mean, I was just writing shit down the entire time of stuff that he said. And I thought it was great. This is the first time I've seen it since it was in theaters. I absolutely loved it when it came out. I was smoking a little pot. So I did enjoy it even more so because of that, I would say. And. One thing I wanted to mention was we said it's from his point of view. I love his perspective and it does feel like people are trying to beat him down the entire film and we'll get into it. But I kind of feel like the movie takes his side and we'll get into that. But he refers to himself as like, I'm going to semi quote this, semi misquote it, but he calls himself a reverse uh, a reverse paranoiac, quite certain that the world is conspiring to make him happy. Exactly. And I love that line about conspiring to make him happy. I've definitely been in points in my life where I've felt that things would just figure themselves out, kind of. I've grown out of that for sure. But I love that view. And I think it's something that we'll get into, obviously, more in the actual specifics of it. But it's something that if it can work out, like it's maybe an I- idealized way that you can live life but if you can live life like that i think moondog's got it nailed down where he's like i just want to enjoy it you know we've only got this certain amount of time here we should just be spending that time enjoying it so that's my opening thoughts on it we're not going to have a lot of dissent here when it comes to how good this movie was so if you came to this podcast looking for a hate review you came to the wrong place we are going to be talking positively about this film the entire time it sounds like we'll bring up some things that maybe it didn't do perfectly, I'm sure. But so far, sounds like we all enjoy it. Do we want to get into the specifics of it? Yeah, sure. It's a fairly simplistic plot structure. I think we could probably just bang that out and then like just talk about all the little details. So Moondog is a poet who has made some success for himself and has made some money for his ex-wife. Or did they actually get divorced? They're, they're, are they still married, I think? I think they're still matter. married. Yeah, I think that they, which is, I only mention it because it feels like a Moondog thing to do. Just kind of walk away from it, then actually get a divorce. But she's rich. But she's there's no hatred there. That's an important thing to note, that she's letting him live his life, letting him have the money that he needs, the things he needs. But I guess the inciting incident is her death. 
and she doesn't leave him the same things that she was giving him while she was alive. She's trying to push him into being an adult, I guess. I don't know, because I don't love that. I don't taking taking responsibility, I feel like. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of that has to do with the daughter of it all. And that's that's obviously something that's important. He has a daughter who gets married early on in the film. And we'll talk about the relationship between the husband and Moondog. It actually kind of reminds me of we didn't get the chance to review Righteous Gemstones, but the husband in that very similar, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, he's a uh, limp dick is definitely uh, BJ vibes. Yes. Except I love BJ. I have no reason to really like limp dick. That's true. You get more time with BJ though. So he is being pressured by his agent to write his next, not book. He makes a point of that. He's a poet and everyone wants him to get his shit together, basically. And the movie is him getting this book of poems written and getting the inspiration for that, finding the inspiration for it. It's really just a string of scenes, though, of him living his life and coming to somewhat of a conclusion resolution where he does release this book that is going to be popular. They're talking about Pulitzers. They're talking about getting a lot of money, the phone ringing off the hook. So he's back to his old ways of being in the limelight as far as poetry goes, at least. Is there anything that I missed on that we really need to mention? No. Well, I don't know. I think that part of it is the the will which you mentioned which is basically in her will it says that he has to publish his book of poems in order to get her enormous inheritance that she's like super rich and lives in a mansion that's something like 500 million dollars that he was going to inherit i don't know i kind of disagree a little bit about what you're saying about how it's the idea that he has to like start being responsible in some ways because i don't know maybe that was like what her character was intending it to be but I think like one of the main things throughout the movie is that it's always after he goes on one of these little like crazy adventures, which we see as maybe like our everyday lives would be immensely irresponsible and completely outrageous to do. That's like the next scene has like a transition of him like tapping away on the typewriter. uh, And that's like, so in my view, my understanding was that this is how he gets the inspiration in order to write the poems. And like he says at the beginning, I got to go low to get high. That's like him saying he has to like go and do all these awful and not awful necessarily. Sometimes they are awful, (laughs) which we'll get into, I guess, but um, just crazy uh, and somewhat completely irresponsible things in order to, in the roundabout way, do the responsible thing and actually make the artwork that uh, he needs to be making. And also before we even have any of these conversations where he's talking with his uh, wife or his agent or his daughter about needing to be responsible, he is at the beginning sort of, he is like in that scene on the boat where he's with the two women and the guy playing the guitar, he's typing away on the typewriter too. And that to me sort of signals uh, that he is just like, when we're starting and meeting him, he just came off of one of those weird adventures that we didn't get to see. This is just his life. But also that while other people aren't really seeing the fruits of his work he's still going on these adventures getting inspired and creating poetry all along it's just that he's sort of operating on a different time frame and a different level than everyone else around him and that's like one of the main conflicts between him and the other people but i don't know i just think that he's sort of working on his own schedule yeah i think that's a great point even then i think i'm gonna kind of like backtrack on on myself 
because like you said you said maybe it's 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 the it's her character that wants him to take responsibility um but she says to her own daughter her like her daughter is at at one point she's like dad's all fucked up da, 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 da. and she's like that's just how he is like you gotta love him like I think that's a good point because it is when it comes down to it, like the, the, I got to go low to get high. Like this is where his inspiration comes from. And that's why it's so like what you were saying earlier, Duncan, like it's, it's, it's so positive to like his lifestyle is, is his perspective on life is so positive and, and childlike in a way. And it's just, it's kind of like a joyous thing that he can find even even when he's in these horrible circumstances and and, you know going on these outrageous adventures and doing things that are horrible like you said Joaquin like knocking over a a handicapped person and like stealing their wallet there's he's able to create beauty out of that you know even if I think his poetry is absolutely terrible it is it is uplifting in a big way I'm a bottom feeder. I got to go low to get high, baby. You know that. I like that reading of it a lot better where if you look at it as what fulfills him, you know, he says he wants to be happy and he wants to just live in the moment. But part of that is writing poetry. That's what makes him happy. So you can look at it as her pushing him into what she knows he wants to be doing anyway. She knows he wants to be publishing another book of poems. So she's going to get in there. Not because she wants him to get his shit together, but because she wants him to be happy. So I like that better. Yeah, because they, they clearly have a very loving relationship, despite everything, the fact that they're constantly screwing around on each other and whatever. Like they are kind of just like life partners. You can see that when they reunite, it's like no time has passed. They're like right back, like fully in love with each other. And so I think that that idea of her being more supportive of the lifestyle he wants to live because it makes him happy. That's what the universe is conspiring to do is a better reflection on her character. And, you know, even though her, her character as a human might be called into question for a scene later, I mean, you know, it's sad that she dies and everything, but the whole driving drunk, driving that drunk is a little, it's one of those scenes in the movie where you, where you do cringe and you're like, man, no one's, you know, the, the excess of this hedonistic lifestyle, like they show the downsides of it as well in this movie. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. Um, you can you can definitely still crash and burn. And I don't know that Moondog necessarily learns that lesson because he kind of keeps going on and doing crazy, dangerous things afterwards. But that's just who he is. It doesn't feel like a movie where you're supposed to learn a lesson, though. No. Or where the main character, at least, is supposed to learn a lesson. No, that's one of the reasons I love it. Yeah, again, it's like, uh, I'm going to sound like a loser here, but it's a vibe. It's really a vibe. I mean, that's what the movie is. It's giving you a feeling, and I love that kind of movie. Just like I mentioned earlier, probably before we started recording, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is giving you a feeling, an emotional reaction, and it's providing you with, that one is also a time period, but a vibe. And that's what this movie does in like the best way in my opinion and it's the vibe that i like it's that's the kind of like loosey-goosey i love that life if i could nail that down somehow it's fun and like i said earlier it's mcconaughey in the role he was born to play i think no one else could have done it as good as him i don't think and 
it also feels like a role that he probably enjoyed doing. You know what I mean? I'm sure he likes doing a lot of different types of roles, but this one felt like he read the script and signed on immediately. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone who is an actor getting to do all these crazy, silly things and not having at least some fun with it. You'd have to be like <laughs> the most straight edge guy in the world. Hugh McConaughey is definitely not. Uh, just like silly thing, like there's just random scenes where he's like dancing around with locals in Key West. That uh, I mean, this was like filmed in Key West with like actual people as the extras, uh, actual locals from Key West as the extras. Um, and you know, like in between every scene, there's always like a little montage of him, like I mentioned, either writing on the typewriter or just going around to different bars and like smoking and dancing, flirting with random people. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think. I mean, I think I can't imagine not having a good time with this. And I also want to go back. I think I agree with you, even though maybe I can't think of a better word like you the, than this movie just being a vibe. And really, it goes back to the fact that this is all from Moondog's perspective. And Moondog is a guy who's constantly doing a ton of drugs. And I think that this movie, in a lot of ways, from like the music, the lighting and the editing, especially, I think sort of you have that feeling of when you're tripping and you're trying to like remember what just happened five minutes ago and it's all kind of jumbled up, but you get the gist and all of these scenes, the way that they're edited with the conversations starting and ending, uh, like you're listening to the conversation and it makes sense. But when you watch on screen, like uh, the characters will be like be facing each other and then they'll be like 10 feet away facing in different directions and then they're back in it like five lines later. And so the, the conversation doesn't get cut up and spliced up like that, but the, they'll be like, say one line, the other person will respond and they're both 20 feet away and then it'll cut back and the person will <laughs> react to whatever they just said in the original spot. It feels it feels like you're as drunk as Moondog and you're just kind of like stumbling all over the place and like watching the conversation as it happens, but you're not, like your brain is not processing the visual information in the way that it's supposed to. So you're getting this kind of like double vision, like I'm not entirely sure where people were and what happened, like your drunk recollection. You know, like if you're trying to tell someone like what happened last night and everyone was really drunk and everyone's got like 40 different versions, even on, on retelling it, like they keep contradicting themselves. It's there's, there's, I, I love that you brought up the editing because for me, that is what creates the, we're going to say it again, vibe and like assists it so well apparently also i just wanted to throw this in there this is from letterbox reviews so this might just be people shit posting <laughs> but apparently harmony kareen said at like a q a that someone asked him like you know what come what like what was where did this movie come from and he was like i just wanted to make a movie that was like lit <laughs> i don't know that does sound like something harmony kareen would say so i kind of believe it and also they did a screening in la and I don't know if they actually did it or not, but Harmony Kareen requested that they kind of blow curls of weed smoke out into the air as the movie played, which I mean, just tells you exactly like what the whole atmosphere was going into this movie. It's just getting high and having a good time. I mean, yeah, to me, I mean, uh, Moondog, in my view, is like just as iconic as Cheech and Chong or Harold and Kumong as far as like stoner uh, comedy movie lead roles. I don't know if he's going to be remembered that way like 10, 20 years from now like those movies are, but uh, I certainly hope so. Which I think is unfortunate. I'm not here to shit on any other movies, but I think this is a better film than Cheech and Chong or any of the Cheech and Chong films. You know, those are funny in a different way. But like we've been talking about it's fun. It's well casted. 
McConaughey gives a good performance. I think it's also just a well put together movie. Like I think it's a good movie, not only just enjoyable and I I fuck with it and I it's up my alley, but I think it's well done and like we were just talking about the editing, the sound. I mean, you mentioned the music, Joaquin. Someone in my house stopped by and was like, "What movie are you watching?" And I told them, and they're like, "Great music." And I was like, "Yeah, it is great music." I was like, "Look, Jimmy Buffett, what's up?" But that's something I want to say about this movie is it's not going to be remembered, unfortunately, like those movies are, and it's not going to be this iconic character because I mean, like I said, it's got very middling reviews. I wonder what like other stoner comedies actually get rated. You know, because there's a very unfair scale for comedies in general, and I'm sure that stoner's comedies are ones that probably suffer even more than, let's say, an Adam McKay comedy when it comes to critics and stuff like that. But Half-Baked, for example, is a masterpiece. One of the best comedies I've ever seen, and very funny. And, boy, whatever, I can go on a whole rant about how the Oscars will never, like, nominate comedy movies, this, that, and the other, other than, like, a, a don't-look-up type satire that's borderline comedy not even whatever i don't even think that one should have been nominated we were talking about that me and garner actually agreed on that even though garner likes it even more than i did digression my point being is not only are all the things that we've said so far true about it but i want to hear your guys takes on like actual not just enjoyment but well put together movie obviously i'm not as familiar with this writer director as you are gardner but you're more familiar with his other work maybe you could talk about some of that like is he someone that you're interested in when they come out with a new film like is it is it that type of filmmaker that is that up there for you big time big time harmony kareen is known for doing very like slice of life americana movies uh he came onto the scene with the movie kids which uh he wrote when he was 19 and you can't even stream or buy that movie anywhere anymore because it's very it's very controversial but that takes place over a day uh, with a group of teens in new york city doing drugs, having sex, getting drunk, fighting, um, all that kind of stuff, skateboarding. And and it's felt so visceral and real. And he also did Gummo, which is kind of like a non-narrative fictional film about a, a town in the Midwest where a tornado recently came through. And um, he seems to love to look at the overlooked parts of society, the parts of, this, of society that, um, you know, critics... Um, highbrow coastal elites, if you want to say that. People in their ivory tower try to pretend don't exist in America. You know, he likes to focus on on poverty and drug use and addiction and uh, mental illness a lot. And his films, as a result, just feel very authentic. And I think that's what you're tapping in, into here, Duncan, is it? this feels authentic, even though it's it's... Matthew McConaughey and Snoop Dogg and it's it's a little absurdist there's like a tenderness and an affection for these characters and there's like an underlying optimism uh, about things that might not otherwise be considered beautiful that's like a, a big theme in his work and it feels to me like a lot of those early movies are shot you know completely handheld not really color graded like they feel very raw and this one here, I mean, this is like a really, really beautifully shot movie. And it feels like he's taken that authenticity from other parts of his work. And he's married that with he's married that with great casting, great editing, fantastic soundtrack. It's one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard for a movie. Like I immediately went and found a playlist that collected all these songs and added it to my library after rewatching it. 
And for me, that's that's a lot of the things that add up to make this, like you said, Duncan, just like a really good movie because it it touches you. You you feel something when you watch this that you don't get from a lot of other stoner comedies. You might just laugh, but for me, this gave this gives me a specific feeling when the credits roll. It's funny, everything you just said, I feel like could have been said also about Sean Baker as a filmmaker. Exactly. It sounded very similar to that, down to how raw his, uh, most of his films feel, but, you know, the progression from very raw to a little more polished. And and using real people, yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't have anything to add other than that I just agree with pretty much everything you said. And I don't know, I, I agree a lot. I love the soundtrack like you. I've listened to it a bunch, and I just like this genre of music, especially right down the line, one of my favorite songs from this uh, soundtrack, shout that one out in particular. But I think uh, this is also, I guess one of my few gripes with the movie, the soundtrack is like exceptional, but then the score and the original music that they have in this is uh, pretty lacking in my opinion. And it kind of like sticks out. I don't know, maybe I need to like watch it again, thinking about what they could be trying to go for when they use the sort of, it's like lighthearted, like like uh, kind of music. Um, but whenever the soundtrack is not playing and it's not like these classic, uh, you know, like kind of beachy summery vibes in the soundtrack, uh, I, I think it's pretty, it's the, its absence is sorely, uh, it sticks out like a sore thumb is what I'm trying to say. And the, um, and the music that they haven't said, I, I don't think it's that good. That's like one of the few things that I really don't like about the movie. <laughs> I actually have to disagree a little bit on the sound. I liked the like the one you mentioned where I was like, I did that awfully. But like the one that you mentioned, I actually liked that. I noticed that one specifically and was like, oh, this is like not necessarily in place here. Like it's a little out of place for sure. But I feel like that goes down to the editing and that feel that it's going for, where it's like almost surreal and almost like otherworldly and you feel drunk slash high. So I do have to say that I did actually like the sound as well as the soundtrack. I liked their use of that in the movie. It's it's like a fun little jaunty tune. And you know what's funny is it you reminded me is it when you did your little do 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 I'm not even gonna attempt it. <laughs> uh, it can't be bested. I thought of true romance and the score in that movie and how it's so like inappropriate in a lot of scenes, but it's just this like you know, he's talking to uh, Gene Hackman is talking to. Oh, man, I forgot the actress. But anyway, it feels very out of place at a lot of points in that film. And here it it meshes well with everything else that's going on. Um, it's not like the most amazing score you've ever heard. And I didn't really notice it, which I guess could be a knock to the score, depending on how you look at it. Uh, if you think like a score that you really notice and really enhances the experience is being like a really good one or like, you know, something you don't notice is that can also be really positive because you don't want it to stand out in certain circumstances. But for me, I felt that, you know, in order to like connect these scenes and also just like reflect however Moondog is feeling at a particular moment in the film, and he seems to always be feeling pretty chipper, it worked. It didn't... Um, for me, for me, I wouldn't say that that was like a huge knock, I guess. Just just personal. Yeah, I guess it's fair. I mean, it's just, I mean, music, arts is subjective, but um, that's just for me. And I guess also it is true. Like you can't have like just bangers playing the entire time because that's not going to fit the mood of every scene. But I don't know. It was my personal taste. 
as someone maybe i'm also overcompensating because i love like everything else about the movie and this is just like something that i don't really love i just wanted to point just out. like I'm trying not... to find something and exactly exactly yeah can we t- can we talk about snoop dogg real quick yeah i think he's great he's so good he's so funny he's an entertainer though he's an entertainer for sure he's good at that stuff he's not just a rapper musician a lot of times you see that with vice versa you know you can see people going from acting to trying to make music a la jeremy renner or you can see more often the musicians turned actors like lady gaga those are just one example for each i know there's millions please do not flood me with all the other examples there are but i know i know those are the first two that came to mind snoop dogg's different though he's one of those guys that you can tell he's got a presence on stage probably to begin with and stuff like that where it's not just someone who's aspiring to get out there. That's why I have faith in Kid Cudi too. He's a performer, right? He's not just getting on stage and playing his music. He's doing a performance. He's doing a play, you could argue, in some of his earlier ones at least. I don't know how he progressed throughout his career, but I do know some of his earlier ones had like full-blown sets and stuff like that, which obviously a lot of tours do have sets, but you know, his was, from what I understand, more of like a production and a play actually, which Kanye is known for doing stuff like that as well. Interesting that he's never got into acting. He tried. Did he? Yeah. In um, about 2006, I think, he tried to put together like a, uh, a Curb Your Enthusiasm style TV show where he played himself. And um, he tried to sell it to HBO, but they wanted it was like 45 minutes and they wanted it 30 minutes. And he said no. And he walked in it. Only the pilot ever came out. Very cool, Kanye. Thank you, Kanye. Very cool. On the topic of Snoop Dogg, too, I think... It really helps that like I mean the character that he's playing is an R and B singer, his personality is basically exactly like his own public persona. I don't know what he's actually like in private, but that's definitely it's not I mean, he's just playing like the public image of Snoop Dogg in this movie, uh, going around getting stoned and being funny and like I mean, even in the stuff that his character does in the movie, it's like when he's officiating uh, Moondog's daughter's wedding. It's like him standing up and entertaining a crowd, and when he's uh, giving um, ladies and the- gentlemen, I wouldn't say that shit. Players and playettes. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, and then later uh, when they meet up again, uh, and he's with Jimmy Buffett on the yacht together. I mean, they're like just like jamming out and making music together, and sort of everyone else in their little entourage, everyone hanging out with them is like again, it's the audience, and he's like playing to the audience. So even. Within this character that is Snoop Dogg, basically under a different name, he's just the character is just doing stuff that he would do, and it really it fits perfectly. I mean, it's I don't know. I'm assuming that the character was made specifically for him because it's so perfect. But gotta be, gotta be a famous singer has a ton of weed on him at all times. Yeah, that's that's Snoop for sure. I mean, if he didn't write it with him in mind, he definitely as soon as he started writing the character, he was like. At some point, he was like, I got to have Snoop Dogg do this. And I think he also, I mean, just because of how good this character is for him, it's a lot better than when he tried playing a high schooler in Mac and Devin. <laughs> so. Oh, God, with Wiz Khalifa? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that man hasn't looked like he's in high school for a minute. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the character in the script was actually originally titled Prowl Pooch. It's a bad joke. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> a bad joke it took me a second too uh, i hate myself 
we were saying that he's typecast a little bit. He's playing into his type for sure. But I also think we mentioned, you know, he's funny in it. And so that's something that's not just, okay, yeah, the character is more believable because he's playing Snoop Dogg for sure. But, and he's shown this in the past too, be it with Martha Stewart things or on roasts. He's got comedic timing as well. And he's got good delivery on that kind of stuff. And part of it is this Snoop Dogg laid back, like he's cool. I mean, he's just, he's a fucking man to begin with. So part of that lends itself to being funny in certain ways, if you know how to play it right. And he certainly does. So I'll say, I want to give him credit for sure. He's playing himself. And that is easier than what Kid Cudi's doing in X, for example. But he does it well. And he's not, at no point am I like, oh, that's a non-actor. You know what I mean? I'm not the biggest Lady Gaga fan, but she's the one that I mentioned before. She's also, she holds her own with other actors. You know what I mean? And there's Redacted, who I'm not going to mention, who used to be a <laughs> a musician who does fine. He's a, he's, a, he's a good actor, but yeah, we won't be seeing his movies. Yeah, he's a good actor, but he's such a fucking dick about it. So all praise for Snoop Dogg on uh, GDT here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all praise for Snoop Dogg for sure. We also have, I go back and forth between uh, which of these performances I like better, Jonah Hill or Zac Efron. Yeah, I don't know. Jonah Hill's Southern accent is just fucking hysterical. <laughs> His voice is <laughs> like, I had a funeral. My phone was dead. I had a funeral for that motherfucker. <laughs> like, dude, so good. And then Zac Efron constantly ripping the vape with the grill marks on his beard and talking about the forgiveness of christ i mean dude how, how do you pick which one is better i think uh overall I, my my vote would go for efron and this his character is just hilarious his costume is perfect uh the panini press beard you mentioned like the yeah. spiked up uh hair with the <laughs> the bleached blonde tips and the the huge jenko jean riding around on heelys the entire time the the Heelys is like the piece de resistance. When you first see him sliding around, it's like, oh my god, this fucking guy. And the glasses, I know those aren't pit vipers, but they're something. They're like, they're like douchebag glasses. Yeah, the wraparounds. I think, yeah. I mean, the costume work all around is great. I think. I mean, Jonah Hill's character has like hilarious, like over the top floral pants too. But it's just Zac Efron is the one that's just like the image of that beard specifically and the giant jeans. I mean, will never not be hilarious like just it could just be a picture of him in the movie and i would think it was funny and then on top of that he gives this great performance like you were saying that he thinks every reprehensible thing that he does is justified because god already died for his sins and he's like well, i may as well just have a good time because uh you know as long as i accept that god died for my sins i'm fine it's completely fucked up and like you said this is the character that leads moondog to basically just <laughs> assault a homeless man or not a homeless man, a disabled man uh, in a wheelchair and leave him on the ground with none of his money, which is definitely one of Moondog's, uh, I think probably like maybe the worst thing that he does in the movie. <laughs> he goes around hurting random people, and, but that one I think is uh, my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, pushing the tuba player into the ocean is funny. This is not. Even that, even actually the tuba player one, I was like, dude, is he going to drown? That thing's like wrapped around him. Yeah, that thing's going to get filled with water, too. But I'm sure he's fine because there's other people around to help him out. Overall, though, I think everyone does a great job in this movie. And that's part of why, like we said, it works well. I think that you can break it down. Whenever we talk about movies that we really do enjoy, it has to do with all aspects kind of firing. And a big part of that is 
having the right people in the right roles and then having them execute those roles to perfection or at least close to it. And that's what this movie does well, in my opinion. We just spoke about trying to pick between Efron and Hill. We gave credit to Snoop Dogg. Obviously, McConaughey's great in this. We've been saying that the entire time. It's well done. It's good. And that's a big part of it. I don't think that there's ever been a movie that I've thought was really, really good, but the acting was bad. It feels like in order for it to meet that threshold of me really, really enjoying it, like I do with The Beach Bum, it's got to have that aspect. Like it's, it's a make or break. Like Joaquin, you're saying that the sound doesn't necessarily do it for you in this. I think, and maybe I'm wrong in this, because I think we've actually had people on, interviewees on, who have said the opposite. But I feel like maybe you're able to enjoy it still, whereas if McConaughey was giving a bad performance, you couldn't look past that, right? Where, you know, you're able to look past your little problems with the sound because there's a great soundtrack and there's cool editing and it's this frenetic feeling and it's a vibe and McConaughey is doing well. Whereas if all that was true and the sound was also great, but the performances weren't there, you couldn't reach. It's a lower high that you can reach. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I absolutely agree with everything you just said. I also, what we were talking about memorable side characters. I want to shout out Martin Lawrence too, with his portrayal of Captain Whack, which I thought that's definitely when he jumps in thinking that he's going to swim with some dolphins and it turns out to be sharks. It's one of the, like, it's the most ridiculous, one of the most laugh out loud ridiculous moments in the movie for me that it's just like so absurd that this guy would do that. But then like, you think that's just like a minute before he's talking about how he's uh, had his license suspended for doing these dolphin tours several times and it's like we can absolutely tell why that he's just making inappropriate sexual comments only four guts <laughs> it was about to be five but that was a great visual of him there laying down screaming blood spurting out of his thing and she's got the the foot in the net and the little girl goes he needs to clip his toenails <laughs> like Dude, it's just it's just so ridiculous. It's so organic too. Like at no point, a lot, some people have said this movie feels like meandering or something like that, but it never feels forced to me at all. Like there's very little like forward inertia to like the narrative or to like the plot, whatever is like moving the story forward. But again, you know, keep keep saying vibe. It just it fits that is that you're never you're never in a rush to the next point. It just comes along and you're there and you're ready for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I referred to it as a string of scenes earlier. And I think that kind of applies in a way that is true to what you're saying, Gardner, where that is part of why it's not forced. It's letting the plot, people always say to let your script take it where it wants to go, not to try to force your own thing on it. And that's something that Glenn Triggs, a former guest, has said to us and other people have echoed as well. But it feels like that's what was happening here. And that's why it's so organic. And that's why it doesn't feel forced at all. Because it felt like as he was writing it, he let the character of Moondog take him where he wanted to go, which is perfect. It's We always talk about the making of the film mirroring the message of the film or mirroring the themes of the film. And I feel like that's true here, if that's how he was doing it, right? It could be that he had this all blocked out very rigidly. I don't think so. But our guess is that he took it fluidly, let it take him where he wanted it to, and that it ended up being very organic because of that. And that's what Moondog would do. That's Moondog's whole thing, right? So again, that's mirroring the themes of the, of the movie, which I think is great. 
Yeah, and I think in some interviews, he's even, I remember if it was, I was watching some interview, I think it was with both of them, that they were talking about the filming process and that they would just be driving around Key West and like see some place that would be like, oh, this place would be good for a scene. They just hop out of the truck and have Moondog go do something silly, like at a gas station or at a bar that they just passed by. And it was like, whatever feels right. And whatever, again, fits the vibe of the movie that is so, it's so great. And I think like, I do see where the criticism of, oh, it feels like it's just meandering comes from. But to me, that's like, that's one of the movie's strong points. I wouldn't say that it's not meandering personally. I would say, yeah, it does meander. But that's like, again, going back to like what we were talking about earlier of how this is like you just like party and got super fucked up the night before and you try to remember like what was going on and sort of like the way that you remember that story, the way that you experienced it when you were fucked up is not going to be exactly in the perfect lineal order that's going to fit. And I think, I don't know. It also, it does feel meandering and like it goes from one place to another, but it never feels pointless. Like every scene sort of does push the story further. And what like going back to what I was saying, when I'm thinking about the story, I'm thinking this is him getting inspiration from all these wacky characters. And when you think of it that way, I guess maybe some people weren't ready to see that movie going in, but like everything does serve the final purpose of getting him to publish that book, which is what he's working towards as his goal throughout the entire movie. It's so funny. You Google the beach bum and Google has suggested questions. And the first one that comes up is what is the point of the beach bum? So people definitely weren't ready for this. And I would like to make the argument right now that audiences have proven that they don't deserve movies like this. We are too baby brained. We can't do it. We need explosions and stuff like that. And it's unfortunate because that's a big part of the reason that movies often don't get made that would be similar to this or would be more of a risk like this is so that's my note on it that i really do think it's unfortunate that this wasn't well received because like we're saying here i think it's great those people need to watch this movie all the way through because there is an explosion it's just not in the first 10 minutes (laughs) i was gonna say that and that scene is funny and that it's like very much like jarring i feel like or it's like not in a bad way but I, i i didn't remember it for sure and was like Oh, wow. Okay, well, this is a different movie right now for a second. Do you guys think that um, that Moondog dies at the end? No. Why Why would I think that? Oh, because you don't, you think he might not have survived the explosion? No, I think he's he's chilling on that raft with his drink. I mean, he, he just he, he scuttled out of there. He let it do its thing. He wanted to set the money on fire, you know, so I think he, he went out there to do that and just floating away and, and living life. I, I want to read it that way at least i don't know i think it can be read either way but i i do think that there's like a case to be made that he does die in the explosion at the end because first of all like where does that little boat come from sort of i mean and he has it at the beginning i think but it's like he's on the sailboat and then there's a giant explosion and then he's on the little boat with the kitten completely unharmed which i mean i don't know also like read some people online speculating that he dies in the car crash too and the rest of it's a dream i don't think that but there's like the there's the explosion and then it cuts to the old video of him saying that's great poetry and then it dissolves from that into him sitting in the raft in the with the fire surrounding him and then it dissolves again from him laughing to him like sitting with the sun rises just in the middle of the ocean with nothing around him except for him and his beer his joined his cat it's a good point about the flashback scene you know i was watching it and i was like yeah okay it didn't it didn't make that impact of like picking up on exactly what he was saying but like yeah that is like if he does die in that explosion that's a poetic end 
is that you know he did all that to get the money and then he just blows himself up with all the money but it's just weird like i feel like moondog would want to keep living and enjoying life yeah i want him to be alive so that's how i read it i don't have any scholarly reasons why other than i just want him to be alive i like the story better if he's alive so i'm gonna read it that way yeah i totally think it works too it's like because it's also he and if he does live if you do read it as him being alive which i think maybe maybe i'm overthinking it but um he ends up basically at the same place as where he starts it starts it at the docks he meets the cat he's and the first thing before you even see him you hear his laugh and he's just laughing uh, that's like the last thing that you hear too is like it <laughs> that like moves up from him on the boat uh and he's laughing and says oh i'm fucking blasted and then it the credits roll <laughs> so it's he basically ends up exactly where he started uh just like kind of bumming it in qs which like a like a sean baker film yeah uh, seriously and it also feels like that's what would happen in this movie is that he would find himself in the same place like i said it doesn't feel like a movie with too much progression too many lessons being learned it does feel like it makes sense for him to end up in a similar spot and i like those kind of movies yeah, it's funny when when Joaquin, you said that you wanted to watch this movie, I was super down because I remembered it being the hilarious stoner comedy. Um, I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. I think I'd seen it twice before this, but still I didn't, you know, it'd been a few years and I've seen a lot of movies since then. And the humanistic, like really engaging visual aspect of it um, and the, the emotional aspect of it kind of caught me by surprise on the rewatch and i just kept thinking of red rocket throughout although moondog is infinitely more likable than mikey but the but the character arc the fact that there is you know no real character arc is similar it's interesting that you say that because i remembered it more for being this not touchy-feely movie but heartwarming and kind of like a, a a little bit of a like familial journey, I guess. I remembered the connection with the daughter and stuff like that. Um, that's how that's the imprint left on me. And again, it being a vibe was what it left on me. The fact that it was so funny and quotable was what was surprising to me. Like I said, the quotes in it are just phenomenal. But we've already we've actually said them all that I that I wrote. Oh damn already. it! I was gonna say, can you bust one of them out for us real quick? No, we got them all out. Joaquin, Joaquin, you got the... some quotes? <laughs> yeah. Is the when at, towards the beginning, whenever he's flirting with that woman in the bar, or one of the several times that he flirts with a woman in the bar, he's like, you got a lot of great things going on all over your BODY. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. And then one of my favorite quotes is not actually from Moondog, it's the it's not really a quote, it's the, the little monologue that Snoop Dogg gives whenever he's showing him the hallucinogenic weed when he's saying that, uh. This weed here, it's so good, it can make a motherfucker yearn for the afterlife. It could send you to the outer limits of humanity. Which, to me, it's kind of... Now I go back to that theory that he dies, but that's part of it. That <laughs> What makes me think of that, too, is making a mother, the weed that he's constantly smoking, making him yearn for the afterlife. And also uh, wanting to be with Minnie because of the repetition of the poem from the very beginning about... Um, he calls it the beautiful poem. Uh, like talking about looking at his penis and the fact that it's been inside you two times today, it makes me feel beautiful. 
that you hear at the beginning, you think, oh, this is just like some guy being completely sleazy. And then at the end, he's doing all this stuff to sort of live up to his wife's, uh, what his wife envisioned and what his wife knew that he was capable of the entire time he's working towards that. And then the end, he achieves it. So that is, in my opinion, him yearning for the afterlife and why I think it's kind of his poetic if he does die at the end and then he's finally reunited with uh, the woman that he loved. And we have a line specifically from a preacher saying, you know, like basically, inshallah, you'll meet up with them in the afterlife. They, they literally say that, like that, that's that they, they, they bring that idea up of like, you'll meet again, God willing, when you pass. Right. So I, I think, I mean, before you even started talking about the yearning to meet up with her, when you were talking about the line of yearning for the afterlife, I was starting to go there and be like, okay, maybe he's got a point here about the, the death. Although I still think that the line about being here for a short amount of time, which you could even read about, which you can even read as him saying, you know, it's a short amount of time. I'm even going to cut it, you know, because, because I'm going to decide when it's over type deal. But him saying that I read it as him almost lamenting how short it is not in a, in a way where it's like actually something that he's stressing about but just a fact that he's aware of and that's like the human condition obviously and accepting it but wanting to make the most out of it and definitely not wanting to cut it short is how i read it originally but i do like that idea of wanting to meet up with her in the afterlife and that yearning for the afterlife and because there's specifically a line from the preacher earlier on talking about that idea i think that lends to its credibility yeah and uh another thing that i wrote down this line too when he gets the money on the sailboat from the lawyer after publishing the book and he's talking to the blind pilot, another great character we didn't mention, the pilot who is 98% blind and has to get high in order to fly a plane. He's the man. He says uh, that he wants to have the fireworks show. and says, None of that sparkler bullshit that impresses lesbians, pregnant women, and babies. Let's Valhalla this motherfucker. Raise the dead. Which is another thing. That's- Raise the dead. Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, I think there's enough there. Yeah, this this theory's got legs to it. I want Moondog to be alive, like Duncan, so I'm just not going to subscribe to it. I'm just going to ignore all this evidence you're putting forth. But yeah, the more it definitely has legs to it. But like uh, you were saying, Duncan, about that quote earlier, um, it's I pulled it up on on shout out IMDb. He says, "I mean, fuck, we're here to have a good time. I just want to have a good time until this shit's over, man." This life's a fucking rodeo and I'm going to suck the nectar and fucking raw dog it till the wheels come off. That doesn't sound like someone who commits suicide. I don't know. It's definitely not concrete that he's dead, but I would say that there's definitely credibility to it. And there's credibility to him wanting to be alive, too, based on that quote. And I think the one that I mentioned before, too. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I don't think that this is like he's intentionally committing suicide in order to be with her. I think it's. Might just be like you could think of it as a poetic ending of like he's accomplished everything and this is not oh that's great he's dead but it could also be like uh, a subconscious death drive or something if you want to read into it that much i don't know yeah he goes out living this crazy doing like in a in a explosion of just hedonism and excess yeah exactly not i'm not trying to say like he's depressed and wants to be with there i just think it's like one possibility that sort of adds another layer of depth to the a lot of the events of the movie but if it, it works either way 100 fine but either he's exactly where he started or he's reunited with his love i also don't want the movie to lean too much into the perils of the hedonistic lifestyle i think it's important that it like brings them up like you mentioned earlier gardner but 
I like the positive outlook on it. I like that it's from his point of view, so it wouldn't necessarily show you all the bad aspects of it. And I want the film to have that perspective of it, so I don't want it to be, quote-unquote, punishing him at the end by killing him for his hedonistic ways. Whether or not it's poetic and whether or not it ends up being happy because he's reunited with her in the afterlife, if you believe in that, it's still a less-than-happy ending for him if he dies, I feel like. And it's still... Punishing is not the perfect word, but in movie terms, you know, it's his actions are leading to that. And then it's basically saying that the hedonistic lifestyle is leading to him dying, which I don't love as much as portraying it as this positive outlook. Which not 100% positive, but you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you, anything in excess is no good, obviously. I'm not sitting here telling you to quit your job, try to become a poet, and move to Florida or anything. Yeah, I, 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 I'm on the same page with you there that I think even if it does, it's like if he wanted to, we definitely could have bashed you over the head with, see, I told you that this was bad for the be drinking and smoking weed all the time. And that's why he's dead now. But it does. It definitely that's not at all what the movie's intention is. And I think that's also something that I mean, uh, Gardner was talking about Corinne's other movies. I have only seen uh, Spring Breakers as the other one, and I like this movie a lot more than Spring Breakers, which maybe I need to revisit it because I've only seen it once. But that's one of the things that I kind of did like about this more that Spring Breakers did at times feel like it was trying to be very preachy and trying to like say something about the culture that it was depicting of like people going out to Spring Break and thinking, oh, Spring Break forever. This is like the most fun thing in the world. I feel like there were times in that movie where it was trying to like do that finger wagging of like, see, when you try to have a good time and prioritize it over everything else, this is the bad thing that can happen, which is like, yeah, everyone knows that. Like we've been told that since we were small children. But this one, it's more like, yeah, it's like taking that at face value. Like, yeah, this stuff that he's doing is pretty fucked up at times. Probably isn't the healthiest. Uh, he's like hurting other people in his way, but here's Moondog's perspective and it's just from his point of view and inspiring his artwork, which I think is really like the strongest point of this movie is not pulling the punches of how exciting and how inspirational some of this stuff can be. Yeah, like like depiction does not equal endorsement and even in ugly circumstances, beautiful things can arise. And that's kind of how moondog lives his life you know he goes low and he gets into the the dirty and the ugly and this you know what other people perceive to be beautiful uh poetry is born out of it you were talking about not really liking the poetry i like some of it but it's also there's that one scene where he's talking to lingerie and he's saying that he plagiarized uh a poem when he was younger but it's also all of these poems as far as i know are actual poems just from a bunch of different poets really so I don't know if it's supposed to be intentional in the movie that he's plagiarizing from others or if it's just that that's surprising. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's a few moments of the poetry that I do like. Like I really like the one where he's hanging out with Zach Efron and uh, they're on the boat and he's talking about the sun um shining on you and, and what is it quivering in in its presence or something like that. I like that one. I don't know. It just sounded like it's not the worst poetry I've ever heard, but it just sounds like goofy. It doesn't feel I mean, this whole movie is absurd. None of it's supposed to be realistic, but it, it doesn't feel realistic that like he would enjoy this much success off of some of these lines. I just want to read out one more quote uh, before we go into final thoughts. 
Moondog says, talking about his creative process, he says, I get all these things going on, man, and they're all turning me on. And my wires are connecting upstairs and I start to hear music in my head, you know, and the world is reverberating back and forth. And I hit on that frequency and I start to dance to it. My fingers get moving. My head gets soupy. I'm spinning all over the fucking place. And the fucking words come out. I don't know. It's just, it's, and then he's talking about, it's like a gift. And it, it does sound like magical. Like, I want to go live that lifestyle and see if I can create that way, you know? Well, he talks like a poet, I think. Yeah, he does. The dialogue is well written. If, you know, if it, I don't know how much, it feels like there's some improvisation going on here. But uh, he does, he does talk very poetically a lot of the time. So with all that being said, that does bring us to the end of our review, which means it's time for our final thoughts and ratings. Joaquin, as our guest, you will get to go first with your final thoughts and ratings. Uh, yeah, I feel like just my final thoughts are this is an amazing movie uh, that everyone should watch at some point, even if I, I know like just because of the subject matter and because of the attitude that it takes and because it's from the perspective of a guy who's constantly tripping on uh, various drugs and alcohol. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I think it's worth it watching for everyone. And I think everything about it is super unique. And, and it all stems from that fact that it's from this crazy poet's perspective. The editing, like I mentioned, is really elevates it to another level. I think the visuals, like that scene where he's smoking a joint from underwater in the pool, and the lights are shimmering on the surface of the water. I mean, there's so many moments like that throughout the movie that are just gorgeous. The soundtrack is killer. And best part of it is all the characters are hilarious. And I don't know, I guess the only other, the, th the thing that in my mind, I've, I didn't mention this, but um, that I compare it to the most is uh, the Odyssey. And like Homer's the Odyssey and that he's going on this journey to if you take my interpretation that he dies at the end to meet his wife who he's been uh, separated from and on the way he's meeting all these wacky characters who present him with different obstacles that he has to overcome and in the end that just makes him a better person so yeah i think this is a fantastic movie and if i had to give it a rating it'd probably be 98 uh empty tall boys at pbr out of 100. nice that's a very high rating i love it Gardner, what about you? What are your final thoughts and rating of The Beach Bum? This movie is an absolute blast. I have such a good time watching it. I laugh my ass off. I'm moved. I just, it creates a feeling that I really haven't gotten from any other movie that I can think of in particular. It's a very particular energy uh, and a unique film. And that's why I love it and keep coming back to it. I'm going to give The Beach Bum 92 Cocaine Addicted Parrots out of 100 this shit rules nice very fair i also love this movie as i've said throughout this podcast throughout this discussion i think it's like i said inspired casting to have mcconaughey play this character i love just down to the name moondog great everything about it's amazing i think every actor in this film does a great job like i mentioned i love the soundtrack everything's great it's this fun micro story that's very contained and it's not the world is ending or anything crazy like that he's a character that's so lovable and i wish he was going to be this iconic character like you mentioned joaquin but people didn't fall in love with him like we did unfortunately and i hope that our audience 
got the same thing out of it because it would be much more fun to live in a world where you like this movie than in a world where you don't. So I hope that everyone did enjoy it like I did and like everyone else on this podcast discussion did. I'm going to give it 86 water cats out of 100. I did love it. And uh, probably my favorite Matthew McConaughey performance ever. That takes us to the end of the show. We want to thank you, Joaquin, for bringing this great movie on and for joining us for a great discussion and for taking time out of your day. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I love talking about this movie. I love talking about movies. So, yeah, this was a lot of fun for me, too. So thank you for having me on. Happy to have you on, my friend. Since that is the end of the show, we also want to thank our fans. We do appreciate you. Thank you for sticking around to the end. Thank you for continuing to listen. And for all our new listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you stick around for more. Remember, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us anywhere by searching the letters G, D, T. And while you're there, subscribe to us so that you never miss a show. And leave a five-star review so we know how much you appreciate us. We appreciate those five-star reviews, and we love reading them, folks. This week, we have a five-star review from interesting name, Oh Cool, who says, just getting better. You guys are doing great interviews and analysis, especially enjoy your discussions with Travis Malloy and Nils Dallaire. Particularly enjoyed their sharing about the production process. I am not a horror watcher, but love listening to y'all. Thank you, Oh Cool, for that review. Remember folks, leave one yourself and we can share it on one of our following week's episodes. Like I said, make sure you also subscribe so you follow along with all our episodes, never miss one, and you can look back at our back catalog of over 40 episodes, which has great gems, great interviews, some mini-series, and some bonus episodes as well. Remember, we always have a full-length episode releasing on Fridays, and either Wednesday or Thursday, we release a bonus episode. This was this week's full-length episode, where we reviewed The Beach Bum. And like I said earlier, on Wednesday, two days ago, we released a review of The Dark Knight with our friend Adarsh. That's part of a mini-series that's ongoing right now, where two weeks ago we did Batman Begins, and next week we'll do The Dark Knight Rises. Those have been great, and they all have guests appearing on them. Next week's bonus episode will have Status Effect, who you guys will remember from past episodes with Alfonso and my guesting on their podcast. That's what's coming up and what's happening with bonus episodes, but next week we'll have another full-length episode as well, releasing on Friday with another guest. On that episode, we will be reviewing Into the Spider-Verse, the animated film. So I'm sure that everyone's probably already seen that, but watch it again. See it if you haven't seen it already. I don't know how you could have missed it. It was a phenomenon, but either way, get prepared. That's releasing next Friday. Stick around for that. Stick around for all of our future episodes. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcasts. That's all I got. Have a good night. Chase the moon. Thanks for listening, folks. We love you. When I look at my numbers and I see that you listened to our episodes twice today, I feel beautiful. <laughs>